We are looking in this passage, as Paul has completed the body of his letter, we are looking at some of his personal conclusions that he's making to the church at Rome. And today, it's on how he has fulfilled his mission. He has completed his ministry. And there are a lot of lessons that we can learn here, particularly about the nature of mission and evangelism. The very fact that God has called us, not just as LOPC, but God has a mission. This is what it means to be missional. It's that God is an intentional and purposeful God. He has a purpose, and his purpose is to renew the whole world, to renew the earth. And he has a church, the body of Christ. You realize that Christ is working in and through us to take back the earth for his own. And so we learn some very practical lessons from this section, even as Paul is giving his personal conclusions to the church at Rome, we learn some practical lessons of what it means to be a family, a family on mission. Let's take a look together at this passage, Romans chapter 15, verses 14 to 24. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to, I've been pronouncing this all week, Illyricum, I hope I got that right. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Friends, this is the word of the Lord given by the triune God of love because he loves us. Well, I know it's still the summer. The heat index is, what, about 290 degrees out there, something like that. Aren't you praising the Lord that uh, the air conditioning is working in here? But I'm going to give you a Thanksgiving illustration. I know it's nowhere near Thanksgiving, but Evie and I have a tradition each Thanksgiving. Usually we do it the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. Sometimes it's over the weekend. We love to watch the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I see some of you have seen that movie before. That's good. I hate when I give an illustration and everybody's staring at me like I've never heard of that, Jeff. Okay, so now you would think to yourself that that movie would not have any lessons about missions and evangelism, but you would be wrong. The plot of the movie is really simple. Steve Martin and John Candy are thrust together, and what are they thrust together on? On a mission! And their mission is actually quite simple. Get home for Thanksgiving. 
And this, this mission takes them in all sorts of unlikely situations. My favorite is they are now on the automobile section of the journey, the automobile section of the mission, and they're driving that car that had been burnt out by the fire. It's 30 years old, so if you haven't seen it, I'm not worried about spoilers at this point in time. Okay, the car is totally burnt out, nothing works, they're flying down the road, they're speeding, they get pulled over by a police officer. And the police officer says to them, do you guys think this car is safe? To which John Candy just goes, I do, officer, I do. I just love that section of the movie. But now think about this, what are some of the lessons? Well, Steve Martin and John Candy play totally opposite characters. Steve Martin is straight-laced, conservative, not really fun-loving, maybe not even all that nice of a guy. And John Candy, well, he's John Candy. He's a shower ring salesman. He's lonely. In fact, you don't even find out to the very end of the movie that his wife died. And he's basically homeless, lonely, traveling around seeking friendship from anyone, anywhere. And as they are thrust together on this mission, originally kind of not liking each other, not getting together, but by the end they become good friends to where Steve Martin takes John Candy even to his house for Thanksgiving dinner, and they end up becoming good friends and enjoying community as a result of being on mission together. The lesson, community and friendship comes out of mission. We see this here at LOPC. All you have to do is look at ministries like Sheds of Hope and ESL. As people bond together with a common purpose, friendship occurs. Community occurs. And in this text, we learn how to be a family on mission with God together. That's what Paul is describing here in this text. Now, what do we learn here about the nation of, of, nature of mission? Two things. We learn, first of all, the holistic nature of mission, and secondly, the relational nature of mission. It's holistic nature, it's relational nature. Look with me at verse four, 14, and I love this. Paul begins, talk about a family, he begins by expressing confidence in the church at Rome, confidence in the people of God, when he says, I myself am satisfied about you. In other words, I rely on you, I trust in you, I have confidence in you, my brothers, that you yourselves, he's speaking about the church at Rome, you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. One of the great hindrances of mission is our unbelief, our lack of confidence. We doubt that God can use us. Paul here is going right at that unbelief. He says, I'm confident in you, brothers, that you're full of goodness. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives here. And part of his fruit is goodness. I can say about LOPC, I'm confident in us doing this mission because the Holy Spirit dwells here. This is a supernatural place. I'm satisfied about you that you're filled with all knowledge. Why? The Scriptures tell us we have the mind of Christ. Why are we doubting going out and speaking to somebody. We're filled with all knowledge, and we're able to instruct one another. That doesn't mean everybody stands up and is a teacher, but that means we're able to encourage, we're able to give life, we're able to speak truth into one another. 
Then he says, but on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder. I've had to remind you about unity. I've had to remind you about the strong accepting the weak. And I've done so because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And then he says something very interesting. In the priestly service of God. Verse 16, so here's Paul's mission. To declare to the Gentile world the truth and reality of what Jesus said when he commissioned his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So he is a minister to the Gentiles. That's his unique role. That's his mission. And then look how he words it in verse 16. He says, I'm a minister of Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, set apart or sanctified, made holy by the Holy Spirit. Now this is interesting. Paul says, my ministry to the Gentiles is unlike that of a priest. And in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. Look at what he's saying. He's saying instead of animals being offered like they were in the Old Testament in sacrifice, Paul saw the Gentile nations themselves in their newfound faith and obedience as an offering to the one true God. Now look here what we learn about the holistic nature of mission. The first thing that this teaches us is that Paul's passion is for evangelism and mission. This is not mere duty for Paul. Tim Keller makes a great point here. He says, in the Old Testament, the job of a worshiper was to bring two basic kinds of sacrifices or offerings to God. A sin offering for atonement for sin, asking forgiveness from God, and a burnt and thanksgiving offering for gratitude, giving praise, giving service, giving honor to God. The priest's job was to offer these sacrifices on behalf of individuals or the people as a whole. Now let's step back for a second. Because, of course, we understand that Jesus has made the completely sufficient one-time sacrifice for our sins. Through his one-time sacrifice, he secured our atonement. He has secured forgiveness through his death on the cross. So that sacrifice is obviously no longer necessary. But all people, as worshipers, still are to bring what? They bring themselves. Paul wrote in Romans 12 that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And we are to offer ourselves to God. So all people as worshipers are to bring themselves and all they have is offerings of sacrifice to God. Now, as Tim Keller points out, he says, look at what Paul is doing here. He says here, Paul sees Gentile converts as his offerings to God. He sees evangelism as his way of giving God praise and thanks. The mission for Paul, his ministry of evangelism of the Gentiles, his pioneering ministry of preaching the gospel where it had not been preached before was for him an offering of worship, an offering of praise, an offering of thanksgiving to God for all that Jesus had done for him. Evangelism and mission is part of our worship. 
That's the first lesson we learn here of the holistic nature of mission. Yes, some of us are going to be more gifted than others. That's not what he's talking about here. But he's talking about for all of us, being on mission together is part of our worship to God. Let me ask us this question. Is that our attitude? Is that, do we see evangelism as part of our worship? That we are so filled with what Jesus has done for us. We are so thunderstruck and galvanized and overwhelmed with the fact that we are forgiven, that we are reconciled, that we are, as ex- that we are accepted as righteous by God. We are free from the bondage of sin, that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that we live in vital union with Jesus, that this overflows from us in a life of worship that comes out by sharing Him with others. C.S. Lewis said, We delight, listen to this quote, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely, not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. Do you hear that? Sharing the story of Jesus completes the praise of Jesus. We see this all the time in our lives. How many of us see a movie that we like? Eat at a new restaurant? Take a vacation? Do a trip? Have seen our kids or grandkids? Have enjoyed family time? The New York Yankees have actually won a game. We enjoy something and you can't keep quiet about it. You have to share it. If the Yankees win, I have no choice but to tell you the next day. You're my family. We see a movie and we have to share it because the sharing of it completes the enjoyment of it, which means if we're not evangelizing, it's because we don't enjoy Jesus. The lack of evangelism is not an evangelistic issue. It is a worship issue. Paul is saying here, my mission to the Gentiles, I have to tell people about Jesus because I'm overcome that me, a persecutor of the church, a murderer of other Christians, see, he was so aware of the depth of his sin that the fact that he was forgiven, that he's been declared righteous, is overwhelming him. He has no choice but to share it. If we, and again, I'm not talking about all of us, Mike put it very well. We're not all called to be global missionaries. But if we are ashamed of Jesus that we can't even talk to people about our best friend, about the lover of our souls, what does that say about how much we appreciate him in our lives? What does that say about our worship of him? Do we sit here and say, oh, here goes Jeff again. He's on his hobby horse talking about being missional. Or do we sit here and go, oh my, wow. Through the call to worship, through coming to the table, I am overwhelmed with what Jesus has done for me. This absolutely fills my heart that I get to go and share him in whatever form. Doesn't mean we're all Billy Graham, but I get to share him with others. 
another lesson. Look with me at verse 18. I said this was the holistic nature of mission. He says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Now, he said all the way back in chapter 1, he said that he has received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Here he says he only speaks about what Christ has accomplished through him to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Notice that? The goal is obedience. The obedience of faith. Discipleship. Life transformation. Evangelism and discipleship go together. Again, think about the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Again, Tim Keller writes, Paul's goal in evangelism is not merely some kind of conversion experience, but completely changed lives. He wants people who are obedient and holy toward God. The goal of evangelism is complete life change. Persons have not been evangelized until they have ceased to be their own masters and have become bondservants of the Lord. And look what else he says in verse 18. He says he does this by word and deed. What he says and what he does. Proclamation and our life are not opposed to each other. Our words are absolutely necessary and so is our life. That's why the missionary Leslie Newbigin said, the church, our lives, is the hermeneutic of the gospel. Hermeneutic means people interpret the content of the gospel but what, by what they see us embody in our lives. Paul is saying, by the power of the Spirit, in word, I proclaim Jesus and I embody Jesus by my life of compassion and tenderness and love and justice and truthfulness. Evangelism and mission must be embodied. It is incarnational. I remember coming up through young life, always hearing the words, you must earn the right to be heard. Proclamation, obviously we weren't discouraged to speak. Proclamation is necessary. But we are called to embody the gospel in all our attitudes, words, and relationships. One commentator put it, we are to invite, in a sense, dare people to look into us all the way and see how a human life looks rearranged by the gospel. Quite a challenge, quite a lesson. That's the holistic nature of mission. Evangelism is part of our worship. Evangelism and discipleship go hand in hand. Our goal is life transformation, and mission includes both the words that we say and the life we live. Second, look with me at verse 22 and the relational nature of mission. He says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Remember back again in chapter 1? He's giving his personal conclusions. In chapter 1, he said, I'm asking, in my, I mention you always in my prayers, I'm asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that we would be mutually encouraged by one another. And here he says, because of the mission, because I've been committed to preaching the gospel where it hasn't been preached before, I've been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, since I've longed for so many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing 
as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. See, Paul has always wanted to go to Rome. He spoke of this back in the beginning of the letter. He wanted to visit them in person so that they could be a mutual encouragement to one another's faith. What a beautiful picture of the interdependence of the Christian family. We absolutely need each other. You realize I'm not saying to you, go out and do evangelism by yourself. I'm saying we are a family on mission. We do it together. That's the interdependence. Of course, Paul is saying there's still room for the kind of pioneer evangelism he's been doing. Rome was the capital of the empire, a city of at least one million inhabitants, with maybe at that time maybe 100 Christians. There was still room for the work of God here. And then we're introduced in verse 24 for the first time for his desire to go to Spain. And Spain represents the western limits of the world that Paul would have known. It would have represented for him what was said in Acts 1.8 about the missionary spirit. You will be my witnesses when the spirit comes upon you in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. For Paul, that would have been Spain. The spirit sending him out to be a witness to the ends of the earth. And it also quite possibly alludes to Paul's purpose in writing the letter to the Romans. See, he wanted to move his home base from Antioch to Rome. And he wanted, here's the relational nature of mission. He wanted the Romans to partner with him in this mission. See, relationships were everything to Paul. He viewed this as a joint mission. He wasn't a lone ranger. Let's ask a question as we close this section. Did Paul ever get to Spain? Not that we know of, but he wanted to. And he wrote Romans in preparation for the mission to Spain. So I want us to think of something practical. What is it you think when you think to to yourself, I've had these dreams, and these dreams have been shattered. I haven't gotten to do what I dream of. What do you do when maybe you're tempted to think that God is shutting down your dreams? Let's remember that God is sovereign. His sovereignty is always good. His sovereignty is always for our best. It's always for the best interest of His kingdom and His mission. For we still see God in His sovereignty using those possibly shattered dreams. Think about it. How? How about the letter to the Romans that we're studying and that has been studied and used by God throughout church history in renewing his church for mission, teaching about Jesus, describing the great proclamation, the great doctrine of justification by faith. Paul wrote Romans more than likely as a missionary support letter to go to Spain. He never made it to Spain, but oh, how many people do you think have come to Christ through the letter to the Romans? So before we begin thinking about success or failure, maybe we should surrender to the fact that God's sovereignty is always not only good, but best and perfect. And God will do what God will do, and it will work out for His kingdom to come. And He invites us to be a part of it. 
My heart, my prayer is that we would see mission and we would see evangelism as an incredible joy. Yes, is change comfortable? No. Do we like it always? No. But is God in it and does God call us to this kind of transformation? I believe so. And let's have hearts that are surrendered to God, eager to see Him work because He's committed to his missionary purpose. Let's pray.